Mightyo, you're glad to be here? Good. We're present here and now? Good. Okay, it's interesting how um, when you have developed uh, your viewpoint on something or you are willing to ask questions and change your thinking and pose potential new ideas, often one of the problems that can happen is people can say, well, you weren't saying that 10 years ago, so why are you saying that now? And what's to say that you're now saying that so in five years' time you're going to be saying something different? And it's actually a really good question to ask, but if I was to show you this picture, okay, it's a bit blur. That's an old operating theatre. Okay. Now, the reason I wanted to show it, it looks, a bit, it looks like something from a horror movie, doesn't it? But that, but listen, that back then was normal and what was available because in the evolution of our species, that's what people had found to work at that time with the mindset that they had. Now, some people say, well, what's that got anything to do with God and the church? It has everything to do with God and the church because the fact is as humanity evolves and as we become more wise to how things work and as we become more understanding of this incredible thing we call the universe, our viewpoint of God is also going to change naturally, okay? So the reason I showed you that, you probably think, oh, it's a bit gruesome. Actually, we need to get into our minds that it's okay for things to evolve. And if God, who is the very essence and is the universe, is the only thing that somehow was stopped evolving, then we're working backwards. Because God himself is everything, because he's in and about everything. So if this can evolve by human hands, how come then the church then seems to be the thing that ends up the most stale? That should be the thing that is the most cutting edge, the most ice-breaking, the most powerful, because if it's not, we've completely missed the point, right? So that's my setup, all right? Now, some of you will see it on Twitter or Facebook. Obviously, we tend to try and get out there the promotion of what's going to be happening at the weekend. And I have titled my message for tonight, Ye Are Gods, right? Now, if you're tweeting, it's hashtag you are gods, purely for the fact that it looked like yearly gods, as all one word. And yearly gods, just I think if people will, yearly gods, like what is that? So, um, and I'm going to try and not let my water bottle leak tonight. Okay. So I'm going to start with a scripture from Philippians 2 in the NIV. And this is going to be the kind of setup. The year I got, year gods part we will develop and get to. Okay, so Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself what? nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross 
Now, you probably, a lot of you will have read that, but again, I don't think we fully read what's been said. Sometimes we can, we can read it and think, yeah, yeah, I kind of get the idea. But the depth of what this is trying to put across is just, I think, is absolutely incredible. So, do we all agree that Jesus was a man? It says it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, he was a, he was a man. But from reading the rest of Scripture, the Gospels, whatever, we understand that this Jesus guy was somehow a bit different to everybody in his manifestation of how he lived his life. But yet, he was man. Right? Okay. But sometimes people say, yeah, but you know, I still think he was omniscient, omnipotent, whatever. Okay, but then if it was them, then he wasn't really a man because a man isn't omniscient and omnipotent. That's a godlike quality, okay? Then the other one, ah, 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 but he was both true God and true man. Now there's an argument here because for true God to become true man, God has to make a voluntary redundancy in order to become true man, so we've got to make sure, and often this is actually an argument throughout the church of really trying to hold on to the fact that if we keep Jesus being still somehow having these powers, it means that we can kind of keep him over there and keep him detached and see things in a different way. When actually the whole point of the gospel is it includes us and it has to be, we've got to be part of this story, all right? So you're with me so far? Good. So Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I call the synoptic gospels, didn't realize that. Um, initially, he's quite cagey about telling people who he is. So he actually refers to himself at the beginning of these gospels of what Isaiah quotes, he's the humble servant, um, despised and rejected by men. But when then we read John, the book of John, you're kind of getting this idea that he starts to come out with all these terms, and we get some of them here. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father, and this is ultimately what had him killed. Is that not right? Yeah? So those statements, those very profound statements, were ultimately what took Jesus to ultimately being killed on a cross. We would have done the same, most likely. And we have to admit that, we would. So, let me kind of present to you a little bit then of what Christianity can, can look like and what looks like today sometimes. We've got Jesus of Nazareth, okay? He was the Son of God, right? Which he was. But let's just stop there. Stop there, okay? He was a one of a kind, and from that point now, nothing from that day can ever be manifest with the same power, with the same, with the same intensity, with the same life-giving spirit, because it was a one-off occasion on earth, and this is where it ends. You could say it was a good one-off occasion, and that's great, but therefore we're living our now 2,000 years ago, and actually, where is the expression of this amazing, humongous God now? Right? Now bear with me. So this is what's happened. And, and hear me here because there is no question that we understand that Jesus was the Son of God. But remember, he made himself human laying down those rights. What's happened is, is we have pedestalized Jesus when Jesus himself actually de-pedestalized himself. 
Now, when I say pedestalize, I don't mean we shouldn't give Jesus rightful praise because the fact is, this is what he's saying when be like-minded of Christ. He is the example, but we've pedestalized him to be something that is unattainable. Have we not? Sometimes, yeah? We've put him safely upstairs in the clouds with his harp. Someone to be reverenced and adored, but takes away all responsibility from ourselves. So, well, Jesus did it there and then. It was a once and for all act. And therefore, we now don't have to do anything because it's sorted. Danny just talked earlier. Are we world changers? Are we? It's a good question, isn't it? So, what's quite interesting is anybody since then who has claimed to feel a certain level of consciousness with regards to their sense of awareness of the Father and how, how they somehow felt like a really powerful son of God, often were burnt at the stake. They were often killed because anybody who claimed to somehow have this amazing revelation of the Father and were outworking these gifts was somehow seen as, it was almost blasphemy, yeah? So are you still with me? Good. Now, if we pedestalize Jesus, instead of allowing him to be the humble man that he was, this is where then the gospel can become strangled. Now hear me on this. The church can sell something that is actually called, and I've written it here, it's an amazing word, it's called an emasculated gospel. Now the word emasculated means to be deprived, weakened, or diluted. But you see... We've understood that gospel means good news, right? Now, and very often, there's very little good news being spoken, right? So here we have Jesus before our very eyes. He comes to earth, the revelation of the Father, right? Revelation of God as man. And we are clearly told to follow his example and have the like-mindedness of Christ without the unique advantage of being the boss's son right? Hear me. So, how can realistically we ever be like Jesus if we're not born of a virgin, we don't really know we're the Son of God, we haven't somehow got the power to perform miracles, signs, and wonders, knowing we can never really die because God would raise us on the third day, these are, the, these are what people can throw out, and then as pitiful human beings, we're somehow asked to take up our cross and be like Christ, but yet, you could say that we're already at a disadvantage, right? So what then happens, and this is why I've set this up, what then happens is we can be sold what's called an impossible religion. Be like Christ, but yet you can never make it. Because he had all the advantages of being God's son and all of those things, but you, who it's clearly telling us we need to have the mind of Christ and be like Christ can never actually fully make it because all of those things aren't in your favor. But it's telling us that he humbled himself and let go of his godship to become man, clearly had an experience of oneness with the Father as man, did he not? Therefore, is there hope in that message? Isn't that incredible? See, Jesus was about getting people to understand that you are just as capable to have a oneness with the Father as he was. 
Yeah? Now, the fact is, was it, was it the revelation of God in the flesh? Yes, he was. But God all along, right from the beginning with Adam and Eve, the whole point was getting people to realize their oneness with Father God. There was no detachment. It was all about an energy that flowed together. It was never about separation. And we've even now separated Jesus somehow from us as people when actually all of us should be dwelling with exactly the same mindset. Does that make sense? Awesome. So this is where terms like this come in. And on one side, again, remember, everything's paradoxical. On one side, they can be healthy if it's towards the correct goal, but often it's not. I am a miserable sinner. I will never be enough. My humanity is inherently flawed because of the fall. I will always fall short of Christ. And then somehow that's what we then offer as being the good news. Well, if all we can offer is that somehow our humanity is weak and that we can never attain this beauty that Christ was saying that the world could be, then actually we're really not selling anything good, are we? Because the world itself can feel negative and feel unhappy. We don't, you don't need to have a group of people gathering on a weekly basis to tell people that. So we surely, whilst humanity throws out a lot of punches and there's a lot of issues, that does not mean that we do not have something greater to offer people, right? And this is where the good news is. So we tell people, you can never really be as Scripture tells you. So we live aware of our shortcomings, which makes us even more miserable. So what then is the real good news? The real good news is that Jesus, who was all man, who whilst being all man, still maintained his revelation of who the Father was, which is just incredible, came to reveal and open everybody's eyes that we have sonship and live at one with the Father just as he does. If any of you don't feel like you've got sonship, it's because of forgetfulness. It's because you are not tuned in to who God says you are. But the fact is, you are. You are. All the issues with humanity are not because of inherent evil from Adam. They are because of our unwillingness to believe, actually, the significance that we have within us. And it's, and it's absolutely awesome. Now, this is where it gets exciting, and this is where my title comes in, right? So John 10 in, hear this, the King James Version. Now, I'm going to try and read this really well. Right, so it says this. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shewed you from my father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, what does it say? Being a man, makest thyself God. Interesting. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the, in italics, Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, thou, though ye believe not me, believe, 
believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Right. So, do you all understand what it means when a word in the Bible is written in italics? Okay, it means that it is the interpretation of the translator. Okay, so they will see a word in its original text and they will decide, actually, this is what I think it meant. They might possibly be right, but sometimes you have to go back to the original um, word to find out what it actually said in context of what was being written. Now, where it says, I am the Son of God, the original Greek was huios tuthiu, which was a son of God, right? Which actually didn't mean that he wasn't the direct revelation of God, hear me, but it meant to be exactly in the nature of or of one substance with. So again, we're not questioning that Jesus wasn't the direct manifestation of God incarnate on the earth. But what he was trying to get across here was I am a son of God meant I am a nature of and of one substance with the Father. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. Now the I am part is Ruach Adonai, which was the breath of God, which the I am, the breath of God, was exactly the same Ruach that is the breath that's breathed into Adam's nostrils right in the beginning. So here he is, the I am, which is filled with the very, very life and the breath and the essence of the divine, but yet at the same time is the nature of and of one substance with. The reason he didn't say thee, I believe, is for a very specific reason. Because he did not want to make the experience that he had with his father different to what everybody else could have. Because you know what? To some degree, there was no point in him coming. Because if the whole point was to somehow show people, do you not get actually who you are, then all of it was a big waste of time. His broken body on the cross was because people actually couldn't stand the fact that he knew who he was. Isn't it bizarre how often jealousy happens the most when you're around somebody who seems to be fairly okay in who they are? It's like it causes problems, doesn't it? It's like, well, how come they're so okay in their own skin? Yeah? When actually all of us should be okay in our own skin because we're pretty, pretty awesome things, right? So Jesus was telling everyone to wake up and realize who they are. He even goes on to say this, greater works shall you do than I. Now, if it stops with Jesus, how can he then prophesy that greater works shall you do? What he was saying was, the DNA of the Father is in you all. I've come to show you what is possible because I am proving that it is possible to be at one with the Father. Therefore, watch me and learn. And you can be it too. So, Suppose then this is an achievable reality. That we can be as at one with Father as Jesus was. Now, to be at one with the Creator, and I love this, is to be at one with everything. Right? It says He's the Alpha and the Omega. You are rooted and connected to it. 
You see, all energy is interconnected. You don't feel a stranger. You feel like you belong. Now, when we don't feel like we belong, and when we feel like we're an alien in the world, if you then feel like you're an alien in the world, you feel hostile to the world, and therefore we start trying to make the world submit to our will rather than submitting to the will of the divine. Now, let's put it this way. Most of us walk around trying to get the world to submit to us. Don't we? Let everything submit to my will and everything will be fine because as long as I'm in control, everything is great. Whereas if you say, no, let it all go and allow the will of the Father within you to be the very thing that is your essence and your nature, we don't like not being in control, do we? But you see, our lack of self-worth created by a faulty viewpoint of God is what then sponsors so much of our dysfunctional behavior and destructive behavior. Why? Because if we have a faulty view of God, we have a faulty view of love. Does it not say God is love, right? What is love? The Father, the Creator. So unless we believe we are at one with our Creator, we can never actually be at one with love. Now again, Chris beautifully spoke about it, the Christmas show. This is not about a religion, it's about an attitude, right? And hear me on that. So when I say our creator, that has lots of names to some religions, but yet if they're manifesting a love spirit that is bringing a lot of change, then maybe we shouldn't argue so much, okay? Whoever loves is born of God, exactly. So it's not really for us to, if love is being manifest, then it's, it's an incredible thing, right? So, if we do not believe the divine loves, accepts and forgives us as a son, then the squared part of our ethos will never happen. A good father loves his son, yeah? Father God, the creator, the universe, everything that exists around you, his very essence, its very essence is love and therefore can tolerate every shortcoming, every problem that you face because it knows you've just forgotten. That's how it forgives. That's how it accepts and that's how it loves. Yeah, it's just awesome. It's not forgiving you because you are a worthless worm. Oh, look at you. It, that, that's not what we mean when we talk about God. Because if we do, that's not a great product to sell, is it? You know, what are we inviting people in for? So, where did we get up to? God cannot deny himself. So if the divine is within you, then when he looks at you, he also sees himself. It's only you who haven't seen that yet. And he's waiting. Is there a scripture about it? waiting for that the earth yearns for the groaning, for the sons of manifestation of the sons of God to arise? It's like pregnancy pains. It's basically saying, come on, people, know who you are. You see, if we don't grasp the sheer power and value of humanity, all we simply do is add to the pain and negativity of the world. Did you know that? So 
We think we're worthless. We think we're nothing. That doesn't actually help in the change of our world. Yeah? Listen to this. 842 million people have no food. 650 children die every hour from starvation. 20.9 million women and children are sold into the sex trade every year. 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 per day. Over 1 million commit suicide per year. This has increased by 60% in the last 45 years. 19,000 children die each day from malaria, diarrhea, and pneumonia. 1.7 billion people lack clean water. 2.6 billion people have no toilet. And 1.6 billion have no electricity. That's just a little bit of a reality check of what's happening in our world. And you probably think, why have I thrown that out? Here's why I've thrown it out. That aside, people who say that they have found God often don't seem bothered or actually much happier in their, it's like, it's the same problem. It, it, it's like there's no more life coming out of that than there is the 19,000 children who die each day from malaria. And yet we say that we've found something so isn't this where the life is supposed to be? And where if there's life there, that's when then ultimately we start really wanting to make a change. Does that make sense? You see, our beliefs create behaviours. And if you are living as a worthless worm that our humanity somehow is so awful to God that he just can't stomach it, instead of embracing our sonship, how can we ever, ever expect to make a change in our own lives and in those around us. So I really hope that's made some, some sense to you. And I hope it's inspired you because I think it's just awesome. Jesus was a cool guy. Absolutely cool guy. And please don't ever think that you can't be as cool. I'm being serious. You can be as cool and as consciously aware of the creator as Christ was. And sometimes, and I believe this is what he meant by, you know, take up your cross. Jesus knew the implications of conscious awareness of self. Some people don't like it. It can cause people to be irritated. When actually, is that the risk that we're willing to take? As the rock, are we willing to say, right, we have got a full revelation of the fact that we are sons of the very living creator. And what that will potentially do to our world is massive. And it's so exciting. So, in conclusion, there's two theologies I want to present you with. One's called supplication theology, and the other is called application theology. Some of you might have heard this. Supplication theology is this. It's when we are placed in the position of a supplicant, the supplicant being God, continually asking or begging God to produce or create something for us. God, please love me. God, please accept me. God, please forgive me. Yeah? Do you know, in the Catholic Church, that's something that is actually considered virtuous. They've actually institutionalized guilt as a virtue. So it's like, the more guilty you are, and the more you need to confess, basically, the almost, the more holy you become. And I just think, ooh, you know, now, that doesn't mean that we should embrace our weaknesses because then we become arrogant and proud and that's not right either. 
But neither should we ever believe that we can't overcome those things. And it's like it says we are more than conquerors. Application theology is this. It's a theology in which we apply in our lives what we know to be true about our relationship to our creator. Listen to this. He lives in us, through us, as us, and all the qualities of divinity such as wisdom, clarity, knowledge, creative power, abundance, compassion, patience, understanding, needlessness, contentment, peace, and love are ours because it resides within us. That should excite some of you. Because we listen to that and we don't clap, but then it's the very things that we're miserable about not having. It's like, mm, yeah, it's really great, but impossible. Why did I go, what was my accent then? It's true though, sounds great, impossible. Well, if it's impossible, what are we doing? Come on, this has got to be real. We read scripture, Jesus was about bringing good news. This whole thing that we've understood is so exciting because it's revealing the beauty of man. And I think it's just awesome. So you see, if we were to wake up to the reality of the creator's unconditional love, it would challenge the way that we operate and we behave. Some people say, well, you know, if everyone just thinks that the divine and the son of God, then, you know, people go out and murder and people go out and kill. Question is, if the creator is love and people say they've grasped the divine, love does not murder, love does not boast, love does not kill, love bears no record of wrong, love is not offended, love is not angry, love is not blah, 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 all of the things. So you see, you can't pull that one because some people often say, oh, you know, but what you're doing is you're given free reign to say, oh, but the divine, ye are gods, everybody can just play as they want. Yes, they can, but it's not the divine that I'm talking about. Because unless it has an expression of love, it's not contributing to the peaceable kingdom. And unless it's contributing to the peaceable kingdom, we've missed the point entirely. Yeah? So, having grasped this love, essence, the essence of all that it means, we can no longer, now this will be a challenge, it's a challenge to us all, we can no longer remain depressed, disappointed, insecure, uncertain, unhappy, angry, unforgiving, or unkind, because this goes against the way that love is. So if you ever find yourself operating in that, the Father's love, the Father's acceptance, the Father's forgiveness is upon you because he can't deny himself. However, that's not an expression of the divine on the earth. The squared part has somehow got blocked because, again, remember, we've forgotten who we are. I believe that 2015 for the Rock of York is about waking up and really seeing how awesome we are. If that's okay. I mean, I think, I think, it's, uh, you know, I think it's fairly exciting because people want to see whilst we embrace the issues of humanity we also are aware that there's something higher than that that we can have. We can have it. And I believe that that's the good news of the gospel. Do, do we go off the rails as humans? <laughs> yes, we do. Simply because we forget. Now, Jesus said something incredible when he was dying on the cross. And it's interesting that Chris should shout it out earlier on. He said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Again, people have interpreted this, that he was saying, Father, forgive them, they're horrible human beings. Look at the sheer vileness of their actions. It's just awful, which it was pretty awful what they did, right? What he was actually crying out, he was crying out to the love within him saying, forgive them for not knowing. Forgive them for not knowing. The father's frustration is to do with stupid. You can't cast out stupid. Right. What is stupid? That here we had a man pinned to the cross because of the fact that he had a revelation of who he was in the eyes of the father, so therefore we kill him. So Jesus is shouting out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, because if they actually realize that all of them actually had the same opportunity to hold the same significance and power as me, then maybe all of this could be somewhat different, yeah? But no greater love is this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So the fact is that Jesus in it all was just continuing to express, express love by saying, I am even willing to die to show you what potentially you can be, which I just think is so incredible. So you can't cast out stupid, but I'm hoping that we will understand truly as we walk our journey, the impact that we can have and the significance we have as a people because I think it's so exciting. So please tonight go away enlightened, encouraged, full of joy, full of happiness. In no way, in no way have we degraded Jesus as the revelation of God. Some of you will think I have, and I haven't at all, and I hope that's been very clear. What I am saying is, is that we have got to view Jesus as somebody who was presenting to man as something that was an opportunity and something that was very graspable for us to have to wake us up. So I love you all. I hope that's been okay. Look, I one minute past eight. So, so yeah, I know that Anth might want to come up and wrap it up. So.